What is there left to say about Palm Sunday? Um, it happens every year and um, I guess I found after preaching uh, for probably about five years you, you sort of feel like you start to repeat yourself on days like Palm Sunday and Christmas Day and Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. Um, but I guess there's probably nothing wrong with repeating yourself because it's good news that we're, we're preaching and, and every time every time we get to the season of Palm Sunday, yep, we've still got good news to share. Every time we get to Good Friday, yep, we've still got good news to share. Yep, it is the same old story but we need to be reminded of it and, and to take it in and internalise it. So what is there left to say about Palm Sunday? Well, when Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, the crowds cheered and they welcomed him into their religious capital But of course, we know that only a few short days later, their cries of of Hosanna had changed to cries of crucifixion. They were crying out for his blood. When he entered, they threw their cloaks down on the ground, the equivalent of a red carpet for him to walk across as as they welcomed him into town. But days later, they stripped his clothes off him and they beat him. On Palm Sunday, they climbed trees and they pulled down palm branches and they waved and shouted, Hosanna! But on Good Friday, they lifted him up and they nailed him to a tree and they left him there to die. What is there left to say about Palm Sunday? I remember when I was a kid, we were taught that kings rode into town on a valiant charger but not that sort. Um, we've got another valiant charge there? Yeah, that's better. Right, so kings rode into town on their, on their valiant steed and as kids we were taught, hey, Jesus was different. Jesus rode into town on a donkey, which was something very unkingly. But the problem is we, we were looking at these events through British eyes and when it boils down to it, essentially... We are British in our understanding of kings and kingdoms. Now, that might offend some of you to to think that you might think like like a pom, but it's true. Most of us do, particularly when it comes to kings and kingdoms. And it's important for us to remember that the people who were actually there that day when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they were not British. And they were taking it all in through Jewish eyes. And their greatest kings did not ride horses. The greatest kings that Israel had ever had rode donkeys. King David is known as the greatest king that Israel ever had. What did King David ride? Not a horse. King David rode donkeys. And in fact, when it came time for Solomon, King David's son, to be crowned, For David to put his stamp of approval and say, out of all of my sons, this is the one who's going to be king. Do you know how he did it? Do you know what he did to show all of Jerusalem that this is the man to be crowned as new king? David took his donkey, gave it to Solomon and said, hop on that and ride it through Jerusalem and people will know that you are their next king. Right, So we look at it through British eyes and think, oh, this was very unkingly, riding a donkey into town. But that's exactly the way that they proclaimed their kings. And so King David's son 
Solomon was given David's stamp of approval and, and, and King Solomon was to, to reign after him. And now, here we have Jesus, the son of David. Remember they were shouting out that? Hosanna to the son of David, just as Solomon was the son of David. Here he is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let there be absolutely no mistake in what Matthew is telling us. Matthew said in verse 4, this took place to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. They knew very well what it meant. They were putting out the red carpet for their new king. Yes, he was humble, just as King David had been humble and much, much more so. He wasn't the king who would make people grovel at his feet. He was the king who would kneel down at their feet and wash them. Jesus did come as their king. He did come as their saviour. That's what Hosanna means, by the way. When, When they shouted out, Hosanna, the word Hosanna actually means save us. Now, I don't know if they were saying it in a similar way to what we would say, God save the Queen. Uh, Some of you might not say that, but some of you might. I don't know whether they're saying it like that or whether they're saying it more of as a cry out to God, save us, or for God to save them, or for their new David-like king to save them. Maybe it was a hint of both. God save the king, for the king is going to save us. But they knew two things. They knew that Jesus was coming as their king and they knew that he was coming as their saviour. I guess what glares out at me and this whole Palm Sunday experience is they didn't mind that Jesus was coming as their king. They didn't mind that Jesus was coming as their saviour. In fact, they're quite excited about it all, weren't they? Pulling down the leaves and shouting and waving. Ultimately, what they couldn't handle, and it comes out a little bit later when Jesus has been in town a bit longer, what they couldn't handle is Jesus came as their God. See, they only partly understood who Jesus was and what he was doing. And so when, when they were asked by other people, who is this bloke, what's going on here? They said, well, he's a prophet. Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And yes, Jesus was a prophet, but he is much, much more than a prophet. Jesus is a king, but he's much, much more than a king. He's God. And today, most people are happy for Jesus to be something. They're happy for Jesus to be some kind of religious leader. They're happy for Jesus to be a wise sage. They're happy for Jesus to be a teacher and a doer of good. They might be happy for Jesus to be a healer. They might be happy for Jesus to be a Father Christmas-like figure that, that comes and says, yep, you can have that, and gives it to you. But if Jesus Christ is God and King, well, that's a whole different ballpark. If Jesus Christ is God and King... That means he has the right to make demands. 
And guess what? He does make demands. As Lord, God, King, He demands our total subjection to Him. He demands every part of our lives. Total submission. Now if there's one thing that most of us will rail against, it's giving up that position. See, most of us like to be independent. Most of us like to be able to stand up for ourselves, control our own destiny. We decide what we do or don't do. But if Jesus Christ is God and King, if Jesus Christ is truly Lord, then that means that he demands that we subject ourselves to him totally and completely. And you don't have to be afraid to do that. Who thinks God has bad planned for their lives? Put your hand up if you think God has bad planned for your life. I'm glad to see no hands up. Put your hand up if you believe God has good planned for your life. It's who right he does. Ultimately, God has good planned for our lives. So we don't need to fear to, to totally subject ourselves to him, to yield our lives totally to him. And as soon as Jesus Christ entered the temple, we catch a little glimpse of the kinds of demands that, that Jesus does make and his authority to make those demands. Now I wanted to check this story out with my family before I told it, but I've, I haven't done that, so I might get some of the details a little bit wrong, but you'll get the essence of it. A few years ago, our family were blessed to have a month in the US and Canada. Now, I'd never been overseas before, and so I was a bit green when it came to international travel. Um, I was very unseasoned. And anyway, many people have told us, look, it's, it's really expensive to get your money changed at the airport. Don't do that. So we thought, okay, we won't do that. So we sort of, it all happened pretty quick, so we didn't have time to do it locally. And we decided, oh, look, what we'll do is we'll just um, use the ATMs overseas that, and just get a little fee then and just withdraw US dollars out and Canadian dollars as we need them. And most of it will be buying on credit card anyway and it all happens quite cheaply. And that was all good. Um, but regardless of this, when we got to the Brisbane airport and we're waiting for our plane, the doubt started to creep in. Hmm. What happens if for some reason we land in the US and for some reason I actually need a little bit of US currency? What if I have to pay some unknown fee or something? What, what, what if? And I go, hmm, a little bit won't hurt. It'll be safe to get a little bit. So I front up to the, um, to the money changes thing, money changes stand at the airport, and I, c- I have a look at their exchange rates and I could see that they didn't match up. If I was going to be buying US dollars or selling US dollars, it, there was about, I think it was about a 12 cents per dollar difference. And I thought, hmm, well, I guess they're here to make money. I don't expect them to do it for free, so it's going to cost me 12% to get my money changed. The little bit I'm going to do, that's worth it. So I do it. I think I changed about $100. I received my currency and I stepped back from the window and I started to count what they gave me. And it nowhere near lined up with the exchange rate that they told me about. What's going on here? That's nowhere near it. 
And I was too slow to warn him, but Jake had stepped up behind me. And Jake, how much? Do you remember how much you changed? I think it might have been about twenty bucks or something, or fifty bucks. How old were you then? He was little, Jake, at that stage. So you're you're still little at fifteen. <laughs> so little Jake fronts up with his pocket money. It might have been fifty bucks or something. And um, I was too late to warn him. And when he got back, his money had almost completely disappeared. There was nearly nothing in it. And I, and I fronted back up to the, to the window. I said, hey, look, what's going on here? This is nowhere near the exchange you got up on the board. And then they pointed me to the fine print that said, oh, in addition to that, there's, I forget what it was, might have been a $20 charge per exchange or something like that. And, man, I felt ripped off. More so for Jake than for me, because his money had almost completely disappeared. And they didn't even have the decency, like they knew that Jake and I were together. They knew that Jake was changing his pocket money and they didn't have the decency to say, hey, look, you realise if you two do it together, you'll only have the one fee. And, of course, if we wanted to backtrack and say, well, blow you, we want it back in Australian dollars, they would have charged us all over again and we would have had absolutely nothing left. I felt ripped off, really ripped off. I don't think I've ever felt quite so cheated And it put a real dampener on the first couple of hours of our holiday. Now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this story because imagine if it's like that coming to church. Imagine, you know, some people think, now why did Jesus get angry at the temple? Well, imagine that you came to church. Imagine that you live so far out of town, you only actually get to church once a year. So it's it's a big big deal and it might be... Easter or Christmas or something, a really special time on the, on the Christian calendar and you think, right, I'm going to make a, a really substantial and significant offering to God because I love God and I, never, I, I live too far away to get here. And so you turn up and, and you met at the door and they said, oh, you're doing an offering today? Yes, we are. Well, what sort of currency have you got? Oh, just local currency. Sorry, you can't use that here. But it just so happens that there's a money changer stand just right here and you can convert it into the church currency that you can actually use here in church that's holy. So that's what you do. And then you have an experience like what we had at the airport where they totally rip you off. So imagine you're going to make this you know, offering to God and you lose half of it to the money changer in the corner. Wouldn't that be cruel? Wouldn't you feel cheated? Wouldn't you feel ripped off? Well, that's exactly what it was like when Jesus went into the temple the week of the Passover. The week of the Passover was when everybody from, from way away walked into Jerusalem. They had their pilgrimage into Jerusalem. That's when they went to the temple. That's when they made their offering to God. And the merchants were there doing their business. The money changers were there doing theirs. Everyone was supposed to be giving a sacrifice and... So they, there were merchants there providing the appropriate sacrifices. I know some of them were doves. And they were right there in the temple. Everything people needed was right there and they were all making their big profits out of it, all at the expense of those who just wanted to honour God. And Jesus would not stand for it. Isaac did angry good before, didn't he? Right? He did angry good. Jesus was angry. And so today we get to see Jesus from two different perspectives. 
I'll just wait for that to go. We get to see Jesus from two different perspectives. Gentle, humble, welcomed. But then we see him angry, judging, uncompromising. He drove out all who bought and sold in the temple. Now, I don't think I've actually noticed that before. It wasn't only the money changers that he chased out of the temple. It wasn't only the dealers who sold the sacrifices that he chased away. He drove out all who traded. He drove out those who sold and those who bought in God's temple. It wasn't only those who were cheating. It was all those who accepted and participated in the commercialisation of God's temple. He said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, what sort of picture do you have of Jesus? Gentle and humble or angry, judging, uncompromising? How do you picture Jesus? How should we picture Jesus? What is God really like? Because some people picture Jesus as this gentle, humble man and that's it. He's not somebody who makes requirements of you. He's not somebody who makes demands. He's not somebody who ever gets angry. It's not somebody who would ever judge. Some people view Jesus as this nice guy. But then other people view Jesus as, view God as this angry God, as a judging God. I saw, saw a far side, I think it was a far side comic, it was a comic anywhere, and it said, God's computer. And it had one button on it. And it said, smite. (laughs) That's the view that some people have of God. He only interacts when he's angry and he wants to smite. Destroy. Now, what is God like? Is he this nice guy or is he this angry fellow? Until you know Jesus Christ as both of these and you don't really know Jesus. It was Jesus Christ who welcomed the tax collectors and the prostitutes. It was Jesus Christ who demonstrated his grace and mercy, calling these sinners to live as God's children, calling us sinners to live as God's children. He welcomes all of us to come. And it was this same Jesus Christ who stood against those who claimed to be children of God but who lived as children of the devil. Jesus Christ is the one who saves. He is the one who welcomes. But he is also the one who judges and is uncompromising in his judgment. In Revelation 19, we find a picture of Jesus as he will be on his second visit to planet Earth. The first time as he came as our saviour and he is still saving us today. But when he comes next time, he will be coming as judge. The first time he came on his donkey, the next time he will come on his war horse. Revelation 19, reading from verse 11. 
Then I saw heaven opened. And look, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. It's like many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and on and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, linen white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Does anyone know what that name written is? King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that king. I don't think any of us want to be on the wrong side of that king. At last count, there are 196 different countries in this world. But in God's eyes, the world is divided into two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world and there is the kingdom of God. The question is... Which kingdom are you a citizen of? To which king have you given your allegiance? Is Jesus Christ your king? Do you belong to the kingdom of God? Or do you belong to the kingdom of this world? It never fails to astonish me how God chooses those who would seem to be insignificant. He chooses the weak. He chooses the poor. He chooses the humble. He chooses the lowly. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yeah. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Here he was. He came into the religious capital and he is totally rejected by the religious leaders. But those who were seen to the most insignificant, the blind, the lame and the children were the ones who, who recognised who he was. To what kingdom do you belong? To which king have you given your allegiance? You are never too young. Kids, you're never too young to give your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're never too old, John. Never too old. (laughs) Never too old to give your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never too weak 
never too insignificant. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. We praise you that you came as you are, gentle and humble. We praise you that when you return, you will return as you are, judging, determined, uncompromising. Lord, we praise you for your grace and mercy. We praise you that although we do not deserve it, although we are weak in the eyes of the world, insignificant, we praise you that you have drawn us to your kingdom. We praise you that through the shedding of your blood on the cross that we may enter as citizens of your kingdom, pure, holy, loved. And Lord, we pray for your return. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. Come, King of kings, Lord of lords. Come, claim your throne that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, may we confess this every day, that you are our Lord. And may we live this every day. In your name and to your glory. Amen.